This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Teresa McLaughlin, CFO of Calabrio, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 297. myself sitting in countless operating reviews and listening to the two leaders of our major divisions, each of which generated about a billion three of revenue, highlight the fact that their division, their divisions had healthy operating margins somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. But the two divisions, when you combined it with our headquarters costs, resulted in that low single-digit margin rate that I described earlier. In reality, the design of the headquarters cost structure can remain unchallenged. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we talk to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. This is Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Chris Capozzi, CFO of Freedom Financial Network. We'll ask Chris to look back on his earlier tours of duty as a CFO inside Mighty General Electric. And we'll ask Chris what's exciting him now as he serves as CFO of a family of companies specializing in financial solutions. Chris joins us right after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. Hello, we're speaking with Chris Capozzi, CFO at Freedom Financial Network, a family of companies providing solutions designed to help people to live healthier financial lives. Freedom employs over 1,500 people today, and before joining Freedom as its CFO, Chris built his career inside one of the industry's uh, premier finance organizations, GE, where he served as CFO for a number of different businesses, including uh, GE Capital, Corporate Finance, and GE Water and Process Technologies. He also served as GE's uh, Chief Risk Officer. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate the invitation. So uh, 17 years at GE, uh, we, we believe post-GE career chapters, I think, are always interesting. So we're, we've been looking forward to hearing about yours. But if you wouldn't mind, uh, take us back, maybe not all the way to the Jack Welch hour, but what were those uh, milestones within that organization that you feel helped prepare you uh, for a CFO role? Sure, Jack. I think if I look back 
over the course of my 17 years with GE. There's three that really stand out for me. I would say the first would be acceptance into their two financial leadership development programs, the first of which was the financial management program, where I spent my first two years with the company. And then immediately following that, the corporate audit staff, where I spent another five years. So over the course of the combined seven years, I had the opportunity to rotate in and out of a variety of different assignments, which gave me exposure to multiple industries, international operations, and the opportunity to work side alongside a number of senior finance leaders. I would say the second major milestone for me was leaving GE's finance function for a period of three years to lead a team of investment professionals responsible for investing in energy infrastructure. I think this was an opportunity to get well outside my comfort zone and allowed me to broaden my skill set beyond just controllership and financial planning and analysis. In the role, I had the opportunity to learn how to raise capital, how to manage liquidity, and how to structure M&A transactions. And then I would say my third and final major milestone was my first CFO role, as you mentioned, as the CFO of GE Water, where I had the opportunity to work with the CEO and develop a turnaround strategy for a business that was a perennial underperformer in GE's industrial portfolio. I think in the role, I learned a lot about the importance of building deep relationships with both the CEO and your peer group in the C-suite, which I think is absolutely critical if you want to be able to influence strategy as a CFO. Yeah. Just to touch on that second milestone where you really uh, left uh, the audit realm altogether, and I understand GE sort of encourages these types of opportunities. What would you share with us? You know, it was something that I had always expressed an interest in over the course of my time on the corporate audit staff. And as I wrapped up that five-year stint, I met with GE's chief financial officer, talked about a series of career opportunities that interested me, and, and that was one that, despite my lack of domain expertise, uh, they were willing to, to give me a chance uh, and to let me go work with this team and, and really broaden my base of experience. And so that's really how the opportunity came about. So after all this time, what was the opportunity that you saw at Freedom? Well, I think there were, there were really three things that stood out to me about the opportunity at Freedom. One, I sensed a very strong partnership with its founders and, and co-CEOs, um, and a very strong sense of strategic alignment. That was absolutely critical to me. I think the second piece was the fact that I wanted to be part of a company where the CFO clearly had a seat at the table and where you're expected to drive operational performance, where you're expected to act as a strategic advisor to the CEO, in addition to the more traditional controllership and financial reporting-related responsibilities. And thirdly, I would say, you know, after spending 17 years in one of the large, the world's largest companies, I really wanted an opportunity to make a larger contribution to the overall success of the enterprise. And so after your arrival, what are the steps you take to move your team in the direction you want it? Well, at Freedom, I'm trying to build a finance organization with a broader set of capabilities than what the legacy team here has had. Um, I think that's going to allow the function, as I mentioned, to play the role of the operating partner, to play the role of the strategic advisor. And so in my mind, we're trying to build an organization that has capabilities very similar to what I experienced at General Electric. You know, in the early going here, just three months into the role, I haven't been heavily focused necessarily on reorganizing the team. My immediate focus has been working side-by-side -side with our senior leadership team to design a shared vision for the end state organization structure and the desired functional capabilities. 
So I would say we've established that, and we're now in the process of actively recruiting exceptional talent to fill a number of key leadership roles in our finance organization, uh, specifically a treasurer, a CFO for our lending division, and then a financial systems leader that can help us to architect and implement a cloud-based ERP solution. I'm still struck by uh, what a big change this had to be for you, having grown your career inside the GE corporate environment to move then into this entirely uh, different, more entrepreneurial environment. Relate to us what you experienced in terms of this change. So I think the big difference at, at working at a company like Freedom versus GE, obviously the rapid growth environment that we've been in uh, at Freedom, really dating all the way back to 2012, uh, where we've seen revenue grow at access of 30% year over year. 2017 is, is shaping up in a similar fashion. That is certainly unique from my experiences at General Electric, where I had been involved in turnarounds and restructuring. Um, I think the other big difference, and I it touched upon it uh, with regards to our plans for our longer-term plans for the finance organization at Freedom, is it's really an opportunity to come in and to help entrepreneurs uh, and to help our leadership team build long-term sustainable organization model, capabilities, and infrastructure that will allow us to continue to scale freedom and build what we think will be an iconic consumer finance company. I would just, I suspect you're more involved in everything. I, you know, I, and, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, Chris, but I, I'm, I'm thinking of like the talent pipeline that GE has in place and its vast recruiting um, capabilities. You're much more involved in that today. Certainly. You know, this, and that's part of what I mentioned I was looking for in the role as I was starting to contemplate my next opportunity after General Electric. Um, I play a broader role here at Freedom, which is part of what attracted me here to the opportunity. Uh, everything from risk management, to helping work side by side with our marketing teams on customer acquisition, to working with our human resources organization, to ensure that we have workforce planning processes in place uh, that are aligned to our growth trajectory and allow us to continue to scale the business. Okay, let's find out a little more about freedom and, and the competitive landscape out there for some of the some of the offerings that you you have. What would sure. you tell us? So, so freedom is a family of three consumer finance companies. Uh, as you mentioned, it has over 1,500 employees, and we attempt to provide innovative solutions to empower people to live a healthier financial lives. So if you have a consumer out there, Jack, that's struggling with debt, our Freedom Debt Relief business would offer them a customized program to significantly reduce or resolve what they owe uh, faster than they could on their own. We accomplish this by directly negotiating with their creditors on their behalfs, uh, and if we are able to successfully reduce their obligations, we earn a fee for our services. That business, which was founded back in 2002, accounts for the large majority of our revenue. We're the number one player in this space, probably by a factor of three, with approximately 40% market share. The differentiators there for us, I would say, are our scale, our focus on customer service, deep relationships with creditors, and our focus on regulatory compliance. The second business, which we launched back in 2014, is Freedom Plus, which provides tailored personal loans to borrowers with what we believe to be a level of customer service that's unmatched in the industry. In this space, you'd see us competing with banks or other marketplace lenders like Lending Club or Prosper. Uh, 
And then the third business unit is Build.com, which provides consumers with resources to make smarter financial decisions when they're evaluating products like mortgages or personal loans, debt reduction strategies, or various insurance products. So in this space, you'd see us competing with the likes of a lending tree or a LowerMyBills.com, where things like brand, strategic partnerships, and technology will be your key differentiators. Now, what would be the metrics that you're paying close attention to? These are what you look at before your first cup of coffee in the morning. Sure. There's, there's probably three that I would highlight for you. First, uh, for the Freedom Debt Relief business, focus heavily on the volume of new customer enrollments. And in a similar fashion for our lending business, Freedom Plus, focusing heavily on new loan originations. I'd say the second metric that I pay a lot of attention to is what is the net present value of each customer that we're acquiring in our debt relief business? So that takes into consideration the cost to acquire the customer, our ability to retain the customer, and the projected revenue that each of those customer relationships will generate for us over the two to four years that they're going to be in the program. And then we've got the ability to look at that NPV metric for each of our marketing channels that we use to acquire these customers. So it's a bit like a, a SaaS model uh, in the way that we think about measuring uh, customer acquisitions. And I would say the third business or the third metric that I take a look at is liquidity, just ensuring that we have ample sources uh, of working capital to meet our growth objectives over the next 12 to 24 months. And that is just critical given the rapid growth environment that we've been in. Okay. We always like to ask for what we call a finance strategic moment. And this is a moment when you had some strategic insight that your lines of sight into the organization, you know, empowered you to have, whether it's an opportunity that was seen or uh, some risk perhaps that you identified, what would you share with us? Sure. I'll share a story with you related to my experience as a CFO at G Water. When in the span of only 18 months, we were able to improve EBITDA and free cash flow by over 70% really by fixing our performance measurement systems and leveraging new insights to architect a portfolio transformation strategy with the leadership team. Before I jump into the story, it's, I think it's worth giving the audience some background to help understand GE Water. Uh, it was a business that was created through a series of four large acquisitions that were completed between 2002 and 2006. It's also worth noting that two of the four acquired companies had rolled up several, several businesses in the water industry prior to being acquired by GE. So that ended up requiring GE to integrate approximately 20 different business units into one cohesive operating company. So as you can imagine, very complex operating environment. The combined businesses generated approximately $2.5 billion of revenue, but unfortunately had low single-digit operating margins. And water continued to operate at these depressed profitability levels right up until I joined the team in late 2010. And I'd say my moment of strategic insight came during my first six months in the role. I found myself sitting in countless operating reviews and listening to the two leaders of our major divisions, each of which generated about a billion three of revenue, highlight the fact that their, division, their divisions had healthy operating margins somewhere between 15 and 20%. But the two divisions, when you combined it with our headquarters costs, resulted in that low single-digit margin rate that I described earlier. In reality, the design of the headquarters cost structure had remained unchallenged for a number of years just due to the scale and complexity of the integration, which is what left us with the broken measurement system. 
So to create some greater transparency and bring new strategic insights to the leadership team, our FP&A organization spent about six months digging deep into that headquarters cost structure and mapping hundreds of millions of dollars of costs that were historically carried to headquarters into each of the respective business units that had an ultimate ownership for and accountability of these expense items. From there, we put together a new operating profit metric that ignored any general overhead cost allocations and therefore captured the true marginal economic contribution of each of the 20 different business units. This was a really important step because it gives the management team a very clear picture of each business unit's impact on profitability. I think prior to this exercise, it was easy for someone to assume that a business unit that had negative or low margin rates were being unfairly burdened by a general cost allocation from a headquarters that was perceived to have a very bloated cost structure. Once we fixed the management system, I would say the next steps were very clear for the team. We immediately initiated efforts to exit several underperforming business units as part of our strategy to improve profitability. I think the fact that we had underperforming business units in the portfolio was not a surprise to anyone. I think what really grabbed people's attention was the cumulative impact that all these underperforming business units had on the overall performance of the company as well as the amount of capital that these business units were consuming just to maintain their day-to-day -day operations. So I think if you summarize it, the secret to the success was getting the measurement system back under control. That then allowed us to focus the leadership team on a very simple and pragmatic restructuring plan to enhance business performance. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. I want to talk to you about talent. And uh, when it comes to Freedom's workforce today, what are your priorities as a, as a finance leader? Sure. I actively work with our operating leaders every month to ensure that the staffing levels are aligned to our pace of customer acquisition, looking out, over the next six to 12 months. In the growth environment that we're in, we're constantly evaluating workforce planning assumptions to determine optimal staffing levels. So for example, Jack, the finance team would work with marketing to understand key customer acquisition campaigns, the expected number of leads that will be generated by these campaigns, and then we'd work with the sales teams to ensure that they're appropriately staffed to manage the increased lead volumes. Then stepping further down the the funnel, we would coordinate a similar exercise with our customer service organization and the team that leads negotiations with creditors based on the number of customers that we expect to enroll from these higher lead volumes. And then to complement these efforts, we put a very, very heavy focus on trying to drive down unwanted attrition in our operating centers. We now come to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions. Tended to allow you to supply answers to aspiring finance leaders. 
What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? You know, Jack, I'm really excited about Freedom's product extension opportunities. When we launched the Freedom Plus personal loan business back in 2014, uh, we weren't sure what its trajectory was going to be. It has been inc incredibly successful for us with over a billion dollars of loans funded to date. And we're now starting to think about several other product introduction opportunities for people graduating from the debt relief program that are designed to cater to the needs of a consumer that has a recovering FICO score and a much more balanced debt to income ratio. So we're starting to think about would it be some sort of savings product or potentially a mortgage product? And I think those are just some of the exciting opportunities that lie ahead for Freedom. What do you wish someone had told you uh, the first time you stepped into the, the CFO suite? And I suppose that was at, at GE, perhaps. But what do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Yeah, really good question. I think for me it would be don't underestimate the value of a strong relationship with your CEO one that's built on mutual trust and respect. I think without this, there is a much greater likelihood that a CFO's strategic capacity within an organization will be constrained. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? You know, if, if I had to say, I'd probably point to an intellectual curiosity. I think based on my early experience at GE and their leadership development programs, I became a huge advocate for experiential learning and so I still, to this day, actively look for opportunities to roll up my sleeve and gain hands-on experience in new aspects of our business. Along the way, did you have a mentor? Yeah, Jack, I had many mentors. Um, my mentors tended to be people that I had the opportunity to work for um, early in my career. And I still look to, to stimulate uh, conversations with that network of mentors and they were instrumental for me, again, as I began to think about my career after GE. So I would, I would highly recommend uh, to your audience and to aspiring finance leaders to be thinking about developing that network of mentors over the course of their career. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Sure. I have one that I'm reading now that I think is, is relevant to Silicon Valley. It's relevant to an entrepreneurial company like Freedom. And, and that's in the Plex. Uh, it's How Google Thinks, Works, and Shapes Our Lives by Stephen Levy. And in the book, Levy spends two years embedded at Google's headquarters and provides you with a real inside look at how the company comes up with innovative business models, leverages technology, and leverages big data to disrupt a number of industries. Okay. So then um, our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? I think for us, Jack, it's all about building a great foundation, a foundation built on people, processes, data, technology, and analytics that are going to support long-term value creation. And as I said earlier, I think if we do those things and we do them right, we've got the opportunity to build an iconic Chris Capozzi, thank you for joining us on CFO Volume. Jack, thanks for having me.
it's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.